Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 108 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. Right, I am here with Nick Kosovich, and usually when I'm kind of researching guests, and I come up with a very easy thing that I go, he is this, uh, he is this, and as I'm going through all the things that you have done, all the things that you are doing, I go like, the only like reasonable title I could come up with that would simplify is just like food and beverage entrepreneur, because it is absolutely wild the amount you've done. So I'm curious, when you introduce yourself and give the short spiel, what, what do you kind of say? Like <laughs> if somebody goes like, oh, so what do you do, Nick? How do you yeah. introduce yourself at this point? I, I, th- well, I think I'm going to use what you just said moving <laughs> forward. Food and beverage entrepreneur sounds uh, exciting and, and seems fitting. I, I've never described myself as that, but that sounds accurate. Um you know, it's funny, too, because I think I always like to just say I'm a bartender, which I don't think is also very accurate. I don't do much of that anymore these days. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is, in a nutshell, what I've been up to for over the last decade. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of stuff happening right now in, in a lot of different sectors of the food and uh, beverage world. So, yeah. I'll tell you that bartender is not an accurate yeah. <laughs> description. And, and so the way we met is you are involved and in, uh, a big part of Mr. Paul's Supper Club. That's, yeah. that's opening up in Edina. And really excited to partner with you on the coffee program there. But I was joking with you when you were at the roastery that, like, if you've ever been to a bar and you like kind of sit down next to somebody you don't know and you start talking to them and you, oh, so what are you doing? They start listing all those things that you kind of go, is this guy for real? <laughs> like, and if I didn't already know who you were before walking yeah. in the middle, I'd be like, I don't, I think this guy's full of it. But <laughs> so the, the, the like original business that I first was introduced to your name was Bitter Q. Yeah. Is that kind of your start in the food and beverage world or what led you to the point to becoming a co-founder of Bitter Q? Yeah. Um, Town Talk Diner, you know, for so many, I think, bartenders in this community, there's a, a connection to that place. And so I was on the opening team with Tim Niver and Aaron Johnson when we opened in 2006. I learned a lot about the restaurant industry there. Uh, and then when I started working at Town Talk Diner, uh, uh, that's where I kind of realized that, you know, cocktails could be this like creative outlet and, uh, working with Aaron Johnson, uh, you know, he was a mentor of mine in the business. And so I was there for three years and was managing that bar program. And, uh, you know, we had a really incredible team of people there. And so that's where it started. And, and that's where Bittercube kind of started as well. Um, you know, b- back then in 2006, it sounds like such an old timey thing to say back yeah. in my day, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but like the cocktail movement had just really started. Right. When we opened, you know, we were one of the first cocktail bars like in town. Mix, mixologist even a term at that I, point. No, right. you know, maybe. I think we were, you know, it probably was, and we were probably serious when we said it back then, too. You know, now it's like that that, that makes me cringe, you know. It's just, uh, I, I prefer the food and beverage entrepreneur yeah. you know, over mixologist, which I get described as a lot, mixologist. And I just, yeah, ugh. Uh, it just seems so self-proclaimed, you know, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so town talk was where a lot of this started. And, you know, in 2006 there were, we didn't have as much access to as many incredible products as we have now. And so we were making a lot of stuff from scratch there. And that was kind of became like a rule is like, if we can make it ourselves, we're going to make it ourselves. So, you know, we're talking about tinctures and extracts and bitters and liqueurs and everything, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of crazy stuff. We were making vermouths and, 
anything we could do. And, and that was coming from, you know, Aaron Johnson's culinary background and just kind of taking that culinary aspect into the beverage world, you know? And so, uh, that was really incredible, uh, uh, you know, journey there. And, and so, uh, when I left town talk, it was to move to Milwaukee to open a bar. I'd, I'd been working on a bar program or like a restaurant bar concept called distill. And, uh, a friend of mine knew a investor in Milwaukee who, you know, was looking to open up some new projects. And, you know, I was super young in business and basically just took this guy's word and was like, yeah, I'll move my life to Milwaukee and start this new thing. And, uh, it, you know, it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And, and in the middle of all of that, uh, my business partner, Ira, our ex-business partner now from Bittercube, uh, uh, Ira uh, was working at the Violet Hour in Chicago. He was managing that bar, which if you've never been, is, you know, one of the, you know, ground zero for craft cocktails in Chicago when it first opened. Uh, incredible program. Uh, and, and we were starting to become close friends. And so he ended up leaving that job to move to Milwaukee to help me with this project. And very quickly, like a month after he moved there, we pulled away from that project. Mm-hmm. And basically we were, we were in Milwaukee with like, you know, just a, a clean slate. What are we yeah. going to do? You know, like, at a, you know, we were like, maybe we should just go home. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I was like, I think I could get my job back, you yeah. know, kind of thing. And then we were like, no, let's do something. And, and uh, we took that opportunity uh, uh, to start Bittercube. And it really was like built from uh, this idea of like taking what we had learned at our, you know, respectable, you know, job lines at Town Talk and Violet Hour and, you know, putting that into a package. And like, what if we could take what we know and, you know, kind of teach it to more and more places? Like rather than building one bar and like, you know, burying our feet in cement and being stuck in that one place, what if we take this show on the road, you know? And so like we built Bittercube first as a consulting company with the goal of like traveling the world and uh, teaching people how to make drinks like we make drinks and kind of follow our philosophy, uh, which we did, you know, in the 11 years that we were, Ira and I were working Bittercube together, we consulted on over 50 bar programs and trained hundreds and hundreds of bartenders, uh, which is awesome and like an incredible breath of work for us and, and I'm really proud of. And uh, the, the bidders started kind of in tandem at that time where like we were selling, like we were making bidders at, at Violet Hour and at Town Talk uh, respectively. And, uh, you know, people were asking if they could buy them, you yeah. know, it was kind of how it started. We're like, we were making something. We thought it was cool. The guests thought it was cool. And people were like, hey, you know, you know, we'd love to buy that if you make it. And it just started really small like that. And then it really didn't take off until Ira and I moved to Milwaukee. And then when we decided to start this business, I was like, well, what if we make these products? But let's, you know, not just do that. Let's let's kind of start this company where we're doing many things. And, and what was really special about that was that, you know, we basically used the money from the consulting to live while we were building the brand, Yeah, uh, which is, you know, cause like IP money doesn't have any cost to it. So like if I can, can <laughs> convince you to pay me to teach your team how to, to do this, that that money can be spent. Overheads, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and so I'm curious. Well, first of all, it's that's like a great way to start a product. Because I'm sure you go to these bars and you go, oh, yeah, you just make your own bitters. And they're like, uh, what? Yeah, you just make your own bitters. Like, and then they go, well, we don't know how to do that. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sure that you start to notice that you go, oh, yeah, it might be normal for me and Ira that we do this at our respective bars. But yeah. this is by no means the norm. And so you're like so far ahead of the curve being at these two places that you, you're like able to find a product just by like necessity through the consulting. But I'm curious when you start consulting, because, uh, you know, knowing who you are now, it's like, well, of course, people want to work with them. It's it's Nick. But 
at the time when you decide we're going to start consulting, how do you go about finding your first customers? Because that's something that gets skipped over a lot in like people's stories. Like, yeah, so now that we start working yeah. with over 50 bars. How do you get there? Right. Is it the cold calls? Is it it's, the network? Yeah. Like, how are you going about it? Well, and you know, people ask how we started Bitter Cube and it's like, the two words that come to mind are desperation and ignorance, you know, like honestly, like we were at a zero place in our life. Like when, when do you ever have that as an adult to be like, wow, I'm in a place that's new. I don't have anything attached to me as far as work goes. Like we could do anything at that moment. Like there's only a couple times in your, in your career, I yeah. think that you have that. Right. Uh, so there's that moment of like, just like, de- you know, not, maybe not desperation isn't the right word, but like, you know, in a, in a way, like, what are we going to do with our lives? You know? Yeah. And then ignorance and the fact of like, you know, or like hubris, you know, which is like, I think always been a blessing and a curse for me, you know, like <laughs> that overly confident about the decisions you're making can be very beneficial as an entrepreneur, but also damaging, uh, and uh, so, like, not really knowing what the landscape was for selling bitters, not really knowing if anybody else was doing it at the time, and just really putting our head down and in, in, in launching and creating it, you know? And those two things together were kind of how that started. But our first consulting gig, we walked into uh, the Bartolotta Group uh, in Milwaukee, which is, you know, a very well-known uh, high-end restaurant group in Milwaukee. And they, they have the best restaurants. Bacchus was was one of the best restaurants in, in, in Milwaukee, still is. And we walked into Joe Bartolotta's office and told him that we wanted to, that, that his, his drink program needed help, and we were the people to come and fix it, and we wanted to come in and do a consulting program with them and we wanted to take their their bar program to the next level and we wanted 50 grand to do it and this dude just laughed at us you know uh we ended up you know getting the gig not the way that we wanted to do it but you know like we it was our first gig together um as a consulting company we you know we were working there basically for six months as you know, bar consultants, but also behind the bar. It was like kind of like we met in the middle, you know, it was like, yeah, like, let's do this. But, you know, we were on their payroll and, and worked as bartenders and it was kind of like yeah. in the middle there. But that was the first one. And it was really uh, difficult, but exciting and, and rewarding. And, you know, we made a big uh, footprint there or imprint in the program still to this day, you know, uh, and it kind of just slowly spiderwebbed from there. You know, we started doing uh, a few more projects in Milwaukee, uh, a few projects in Chicago as well. We were working uh, for a while with Paul McGee, who uh, is, uh, you know, a world-renowned bar, uh, you know, man of, of uh, extreme talent and has done a lot of incredible stuff in Chicago. So we got to do some stuff with him. And then in Minneapolis, you know, our first big splash was, uh, uh, you know, Eat Street Social in 2012. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just expanded from there. We've got a bunch of projects that we've done in California and are continuing to work on, um, you know, which I'm still working on today. Uh, Post pandemic, I've I've been working on three projects in California right now, uh, one in Lodi, one in San Mateo, and San Ramon. Uh, so that's been really exciting. So it's still happening. It's it's a lot different today. You know, ten years ago, eleven years ago, there weren't as many people doing what we do, right? Mm-hmm. So like the idea of like doing these elevated classic craft cocktails and needing somebody to do that teaching was, was different then than it is now. And, and, and it's one of the reasons that we've continued to pivot to more and more products is that, you know, how we did our consulting before uh, was really based on like, here's a dollar amount that we need for these level of services. And now it's more like, well, let us use these products to create this incredible program for you and customize it. And then the, the money that we need for, the labor of educating is much less. Right. So like that's kind of the new way for us. And so 
that kind of was starting already with Bittercube. And then, you know, Ira and I split up the business uh, about a year ago. And uh, I started this new company called Drinks Apothecary and took a lot of these, you know, I, we were calling them passive businesses in Bittercube. You know, over 11 years, you know, we started with bitters, but then, you know, we started making all these other things, tonics and elixirs and citrates and all this stuff for all these bar programs that we were consulting on. And they all kind of started to become their own little, you know, micro companies under Bittercube. And so when we were splitting things up post-pandemic, I know I just fast forwarded really like <laughs> no we'll like go back it's, all, years, it's yeah. all good but when we split things up post pandemic Ira Ira stayed with Bittercube and the the liqueur company Heirloom I I cashed out of those and started this new company called Drinks Apothecary with all of the kind of micro businesses so these four other businesses kind of I took with me and. Uh, now, now, have, now I'm working with Earl Giles, and so now that company is merging with Earl Giles, and together, these two businesses now have like 70 SKUs of products. So a restaurant or a hotel or a bar can come and pick and choose and customize their whole beverage program with us. And so then the, the need to help them educate their team like is much less cost. And so that's kind of been the huge pivot for us in terms of how we do the consulting. But, uh, you know, obviously it stopped during the pandemic. You know, we had maybe 20 consulting gigs going throughout the country. And then, you know, they went to zero, you know, for a year and a half, no one was interested in our services. We were still working with people and helping because there was a lot of pivoting to do with, you know, bottled cocktails mm-hmm. and to go cocktails and things like that. But, you know, we stopped basically that revenue stream altogether. And, and now it started to pick up again, which is really exciting. And so post pandemic, I've done a few projects in California. And then, you know, here we did Malcolm Yards, yep. which was awesome. 19 mm-hmm. tap cocktails. Just Amazing a, yeah, space. Yeah. And, and really rewarding beverage program. You know, we, we had, you know, the entire bar team had you know little to no experience and we had three days to really train them and to see what we were able to do in that time is really, really exciting and proof in the programming for us, like go to Malcolm Yards, have a drink. It's delicious. And that's really all we're really focusing on now. You know, I, you know, Mr. Paul's is, is, mine, you know, I'm a partner there. And so like, it's going to be taking what we've really been focusing on, which is all this efficiency and speed and tap cocktails. And also, you know, the other piece of cocktails, which I'm really obsessed with is like that visual element and that, you know, surprise and delight. And we're going to kind of put those two things together there, which is really exciting. So that was a long, long winded uh, explanation for you. Yeah, and I'm there. sure anyone listening can start to understand how I go like, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because you just basically fast forwarded through like 12, 13 years I of did. what was going on. I apologize. On. No, yeah. there's nothing to apologize for because <laughs> like people who listen to this know that's like how I like to go about yeah. it. Is I like to kind of fill in the gap because it's easy to look at someone like you and just be like, well, yeah, he's continuing to have success because he, he has success. But what I love to break down is like those very first steps. As you launch Bitter Cube, you're doing the consulting you realize this opportunity for bidders as a potential product for your customers is how it sounds like it started but knowing what bitter cube became at what point did you well first i'm curious how did you start producing and bottling the bitters like where were you doing yeah. that how did you go about that something as simple as that yeah and, and you know there are the, the world of bitters is an extremely saturated 
uh, uh, like line of work, you know, like there are more and more bidders companies, you know, we used to get emails, you know, every month people would be like, Hey, I want to start a bidders company. Would love any info you have any advice. And we're like, yeah, don't do it. Like, <laughs> why would you make something that you sell by the drop? It's absolutely insane. You know, I, I have a similar response with people. How do I start a coffee company? Yeah, you're like, wow, great. Do you like working constantly, <laughs> yeah. not paying yourself enough and having constant stress? Boy, do I have the opportunity yeah. for you. And, you know, and we, there's obviously been a lot of learning along the way and you know what ira is doing in milwaukee you know there's now an apothecary in milwaukee mm. that is the called the bitter cube apothecary produces all the bitters there and they're producing you know 200 gallon batches or whatever like large large vessels worth and uh distribution throughout north america and in a few spots around the the world uh and you know so we've seen exponential growth in those 10 years but yeah, how we started was, again, like in the bar. So, you know, a lot of these formulas, a lot of the recipes that you see on the Bitter Cube, uh, you know, uh, product list right now started in those bars that Ira and I worked at in gallon forms, making them, our, you know. Yeah. So, like, the process had to change, clearly, as you upscale, um, you know, but, but we tried to stay as true to it as possible. I mean, you know, citrus is still peeled by hand and botanicals are still bloomed over open flames and we're still making caramelized sugar in house. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of that stuff that's still happening, but, um, our first, you know, I guess, um, legitimate product, you know, cause there's that gray area of like, we're yeah. making stuff, but, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll skip through that. But like that first legitimate, you know, we're making these products and we're selling them through dis distribution was, um, in Madison at a distillery called Yohara Bay. And they let us have this little back area and we bought our spirits from them for the extraction. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of bitters companies. I think what I was saying earlier that that might not be totally up to code or, you know, doing it by the books. And we obviously wanted to, to do that. And so, you know, you need to produce these at a place that is licensed to mm -hmm. be able to make products with alcohol. And so distillery is a really easy way to do that. Uh, and so we were sourcing our product from Yahara Bay. They were letting us macerate there. We were, you know, we started out making 20 gallon batches and then 50 gallon batches, but they were really small and we were using bartenders that we knew for help um, at the local like craft bar, t bar there called uh, Merchant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was it. Like, you know, and they were really long processes. We, you know, we've, we've tried to tighten the process as well, you know, cause like time is money. So like, you know, some of these bitters took like six weeks to make, and it's just like unnecessarily lengthy. Right. Cause like, as we grew and we're learning more about like the actual science behind it, you know, cause we didn't start this cause we were like chemists, yeah. you know, like we're bartenders, <laughs> you know? And so you, you kind of learn along the way. Um, and so, you know, the, the speed of which the product is made is smarter and more economical. The way that they're made is smarter and more economical. And, you know, it's a hard thing to enter. I think in the coffee world as well, there's probably a lot of similarities. Like, you know, the smaller batches you're making, the more everything costs. And so it's like you save money by growing, you know, which is just like a weird thing to yeah. wrap your head around. Um, but yeah, so we started at Yahara Bay. We were there for the first couple of years. And then uh, from there, we uh, had our first facility in Milwaukee, uh, which was adjacent to another small distillery there that we were, we had like a little cocktail bar at. And then we moved into this new space 
um, I think maybe three years ago now that, that Ira and the team are in currently. And so, yeah, it's been incredible growth and uh, I'm really proud of the, 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 the 11 years that Ira and I did that project together. And, um, you know, the pandemic changed everything. We had 22 employees, I think before the pandemic and, you know, then zero eventually. And as we were figuring out what we were going to do and how we were going to land this thing and if we were going to be able to keep moving forward, um, it was just kind of that right time to just really look at everything that we had on the table and how we wanted to do it. And, you know, Ira and I live in two different cities and have for, you know, almost you know, most of the, the, the longevity of the company. Uh, you know, I was in Milwaukee for the first three years and then moved home here to Minneapolis. Uh, so, you know, before the pandemic, it was almost like we were running two different businesses under the same thing. I was really focused on the consulting side. I was really focused on the production side. Um, and so we just, it kind of made sense at that time to, to look at reexamining how mm. things were, were going. And I think too, like the growth of the company from nothing was very incredible, but did it need two CEOs at, you know, that salary with a, with the revenue stream that that thing was generating? No. And so I think that it was just kind of the right moment for us and it's been really great and, and amicable and exciting. I think for me, I have that, like, uh, as you can tell that like obsessive, uh, you know, entrepreneur, just, you know, I, I love starting things and churning them out and, uh, keep moving, you know? And so the idea of, letting go of something like bitter cube, although, you know, scary and frightening and, and something that I built my, myself. Uh, also, you know, a year later now I'm like, well, like uh, how, how lucky and how refreshing and man, I'm in such an incredible place. You know, it's almost like the thing that held you up is also the thing that can hold you back, right. you know? And like, so bitter cube was like the thing that identified me. Yeah. And so like going through that process, you know, although like emotionally, tormenting but to get through it on the other side like is such a freeing thing and you know I've I've, I've been self-employed my almost my whole career but it wasn't until leaving Bittercube that I really felt self-employed you know like starting Drinks Apothecary on my own with nothing uh not nothing. I mean, I, you know, cashing out a bitter cube was certainly a help, but you know, my wife and I bought a house in January and we launched this company in September of last year. And it's just been a really crazy ride and, uh, you know, a risk, but the risk has been really rewarding. And, and then to land it after a year, like to, to start this thing and just be like, all right, I'm going to take these, you know, pieces of bitter cube and I'm going to compile them to create this new company. And now that company is going to merge into Earl Giles and I'm going to land this thing into this, you know, incredible team of people that have a board of directors behind them. And we've got a director of operations that's extremely talented and used to run uh, naval warships. He's like <laughs> at the head of the thing, you know, like it's just such a different structure yeah. than what Ira and I had, which were two bartenders who had never been in business before. And, you know, Ira always made the joke of like, man, you know, I wish I would have known we were going to do this. I would have got a lawyer, you know, I would have got a law degree or, you know, I could have been a scientist, yeah. you know, but we made drinks for a living and we built this thing. And so to, to take the experience that I have, be able to bring it to this team at Earl Giles and partner with them on the, on this new future is just so exciting. And so, you know, they were a company that was really just focused on the twin cities. And now I've brought, this client list, this, you know, North American client list with me. And so we've just through the pandemic made it. And now it's just been, you know, uh, exponentially growing right now. And we just launched, uh, consumer facing products with Earl Giles together, the two companies. So we have a line of elixirs and syrups that are now distributed through, uh, 
uh, libation project here in the Twin Cities, and then we're going to expand into new markets. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm now taking everything I did with Bittercube and, 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 and now running it through with these new products, which is awesome. Yeah, and, and so I'm curious when you – this applies to both Bittercube and Drinks Apothecary. So, like, when you're looking at the bitters market, when, or maybe you're not, but, uh, or the, the elixir market, or, which is kind of a niche market, that you're looking at this and going, there's a necessity for us to create this product. What was it about the products that you had available, whether it's the bitters that you had available in 2006, or the, the elixirs and the syrups and everything you're making with Drinks Apothecary? What is it about the products that are available that you say – it's worth our time and effort to go about this because of what? Because of the, yeah. like, what X factor is it that you saw this opportunity and go, we need to do this ourselves yeah. as opposed to just get the things that are already available on the market? Well, I think we are always trying to stay ahead of the curve. Like, I think, you know, I, I hope that, you know, one thing that we're known for in the beverage world is, you know, you know, doing something that's cutting edge or never been done before or unique and, you know, inherently ours. Like I've always want, like I want people to be able to go into a bar and know that we were there or our presence was there. And I think you can do that a lot. I think people that have worked for us can do that as well. Um, so, you know, there's that aspect um, of it. And I think that most of what we've done has been built on us not thinking it was available anywhere else and, and, and maybe not even looking, but I think like if we need it, then the odds are that other people in the market or, or in the country need it. And so, you know, the Elixir company on the fly Elixirs, you know, and what we define Elixir as is basically these craft sour mixes. It's your acidity and your sweetness in a cocktail. Right. And in the world of batch drinks and keg drinks, you can't use fresh citrus in those batches. They'll, the, the drinks will denature and change and separate. And, and there's all these, you know, negative things that can impact that batch. Right. And so you have to kind of reverse engineer citrus in a way to make it work for these cocktails. And so we were creating these liquids out of necessity for our programs as we were trying to create more efficiencies in the beverage world. And then it just kind of expanded from there. And so, you know, when you look at the fact that we had 15 or 20 bars at any given time working with us, the way for us to have more control over those programs was to be making the products back home. And so now Earl Giles and Drinks Apothecary are like the, the, the prep kitchen for hundreds cool. of bars and restaurants and hotels all over the country. And, you know, we've, we've got some really big national accounts that we've been working with, um, with like Marriott and their, their different hotel chains and creating, you know, bespoke programming for them, but we're making all the stuff. So, I mean, we just shipped, you know, a pallet of stuff to Disney world for one of their resorts and it's all custom elixirs, uh, that they're going to use there. And so we are, it, it, it's went from, you know, making bitters 12 years ago to now having a company that has, you know, every, everything, every component of a cocktail that you need to make a well thought out menu. Plus we have 260 flavors and extracts that you can add to those SKUs to create complete customization. And so you're taking essentially the necessary training, expertise, bartenders that have years of experience, you're taking that out of the equation that you can take someone with relatively little to no experience with a combination of elixir and your existing alcohols that you have to be able to create a full cocktail program that like, let's be honest, if I go to a lot of Marriott's, I go, I don't know if I expect an amazing cocktail when I go in there. If it's serviceable, I'm happy, but the expectation is not going to be as high as if I go to like 
a great bar or co- like mixology place and yep. like your expectations are high but to be able to do that in a way that you go into a mirror and you're like holy shit this is really good like th- with a bartender that maybe doesn't have years of experience and the one thing you said that kind of resonated that you said we hadn't heard of it we don't see it around we didn't necessarily go out and research it to death that's a really cool takeaway because I think a lot of people when they're thinking about a business they go well, let's see if it exists. Yeah. Well, guess what? The internet, you can find yeah. anything yeah. on the internet. Everything exists. And so part of it is like, well, you're deep, deep in the food beverage world. And you go, I haven't heard of this. You go, well, that's a pretty damn good reference. Or just to ask around to different friends in the industry or people you know that have expertise and say, like, have you heard of this? Do you know of any? Maybe they've heard of one. Maybe they haven't. But to be able to use that as your evidence to we should produce this yeah. is going to be a much more effective way to start a business than, yeah. like, let's try to research every single person who's done a similar yeah. thing and see if it exists because that's a really easy way to talk yourself out of doing something. Thing. There's a dis. So we just started another business with Earl Giles called Disco Citrus, and it's a line of dehydrated shelf stable garnishes. And so right now we're basically taking lemons, limes, oranges, grapefruits, you know, using a, a slicer, dehydrating them, and then tossing them in edible metals. Like you can get like gold dusted limes and silver dusted lemons, etc. And it's all customizable. And in the last three months, we have seen like six other companies like this in the country, you know, launch. And, you know, what, so we could have done that research ahead of time and then we just probably wouldn't have started it. But instead we go, our customers want this thing. We need this for our own programming. So let's make it something that's, that we can profit on because we're going to do it regardless. We're going to do it for our programs regardless. Let's make it available to everybody. And then as there's, as you start to realize that these other companies are doing this, Rather than saying no, because we're already invested, now we use them as a litmus. All right, great. Well, let's get their wholesale pricing. Hmm. Where are we at with that? Like, So for me, it's like I don't want to talk myself out of not doing it. I think it's a great idea. I think the name is awesome. Like, I think we, like, we got this really cool logo. It's like a disco ball that opens up and it's a lemon. And we're just like, that logo alone, we're like, fuck it, we're doing this, you know, like <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Urkla has it tattooed on his arm. Like it has to be a real company now, right? <laughs> He's got tattooed. Yeah, yeah, that's commitment. <laughs> so, you know, we do that and, and, and that's the way a lot of our brands have started. Like it worked for us. It's something we needed. There's a market for it. Can we profit on it? Let's do it. And that's really where I, I think, excel and, and, and love that just like that development piece of entrepreneurship is really exciting for me. And then even if other companies do exist with a similar or the same product, then you're also giving them maybe too much of a benefit of a doubt. If you can find one or two examples of something and say, well, this exists, we shouldn't do it, then you're going, yeah. well, what's to say that they're going to be really good at it or there yeah. aren't components of our strategy or the way we're exactly. going to go to market, especially when you consider your background and your existing contacts around the country and your proven success with Bittercube and what you did there, like the, all the credibility you have there that even if something does exist, even if there are other companies doing these yeah. de hydrated uh, garnishes for cocktails that you go, well, maybe we have a leg up in a way that they don't. And then with the way business goes, a lot of businesses fail. So who's to say that they're going to do well and we're not or vice versa. And so to not use that as a way to not start something, but the thing I hear, and we haven't even begun to talk about Mr. Paul's Supper Club. So how did you end up getting uh, to become a partner at Mr. Paul's Supper Club? Yeah. uh, I I mean, again, like, luck. I don't think that that would have happened had I still been a 
partner at Bittercube, to be honest. Like I think, so Tommy and I worked at Town Talk together. So he wasn't there op- as the opening team, but then he was the chef, I think in 2007 maybe. So like a year, year and a half in, uh, I think Tommy took over. And I don't know, he'll have to tell you that on, on his turn for this podcast, Absolutely. I'm sure. Uh, and so we were, you know, one, I was running the bar, he was running the kitchen for like, I think two years or more. And we were just, I mean, we were like best buddies tied at the hip. I mean, we worked every day, you know, he would pick me up in the morning, we'd work all night, I'd get dropped off, he'd pick me up the next day. I mean, we were just, you know, uh, uh, connected uh, and it was awesome. And then I, you know, he left uh, to pursue other stuff. I, he went to go open, I think like at the tap hall, uh, uh, some Edina, or I don't remember some tap hall. Uh, and, uh, so he had left and then it changed owners and, you know, I stayed through some of that. And then I left in 2009 and started bitter cube. And then ever since we, we, we haven't done any work together. Uh, you know, your friendship, I think when you work the way that we do, it's like, who are, who am I spending time with? It's the people that I'm working with, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I moved to Milwaukee and so we, you know, our friendship, you know, changed obviously quite a bit. And, uh, so we haven't, you know, we never lost touch, like, like lost touch or anything like that, but it just, you know, you know, kind of just changed, you know? And so then, uh, after bitter cube, uh, kind of thing separated last September, you know, Tommy and I, uh, had just kind of connected and, and had a couple drinks and he was talking about this project and it really just kind of grew, you know, he hadn't really came out the gate saying that he wanted me to work there or anything like that. And after we chatted uh, a few different times, it kind of became like, it felt like the right thing, you know? And so it was just kind of like that, you know, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'd be <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that'd be stupid, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, it was so stupid. Yeah, just like two buds, like, you know, like, you wouldn't uh, want to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So it kind of felt like that, and it was really exciting. And, um, you know, for me, uh, I mean, I, I am so excited to work with Tom again. Uh, and uh, Tom, Tommy, he doesn't like to be called Tom. I think I'm the only person that calls him that. Uh, my pet name for Tommy is Tom, which isn't very creative <laughs> at all. Uh, but no, I'm really excited to be in the restaurant environment with him again. I think we have just this really great energy that we build off of each other. And uh, I'm really excited to bring some of that, you know, uh, energy to just restaurants in general. Yeah. Again, you know, I think that uh, what we intend to do at Mr. Paul's is needed right now. And uh, we want to be fun and playful. And I think the concept that Tommy is creating there is a perfect environment for it. You know, this idea of lighthearted, lighthearted supper club style with this, you know, high end cuisine vibe all wrapped into this New Orleans bow. Um, you know, I've been to New Orleans like 14 times or something. You know, I've been there almost every year for this event called Tales of the Cocktail, which is this big drinking event and cocktail culture event in, uh, in New Orleans every year. And uh, it's a really important city to me. And Tommy's family's from there. And so it, it just kind of made a lot of sense, you know. And, and I've been obsessing about, you know, New Orleans cocktail c- culture, you know, for a long time, but really diving in, you know, as of late and uh, really researching, you know, like the 1800s and what was happening there and you know we're, we're, we're researching different like poets from that time and uh, it's just been really exciting to like dig into it and so the menu there uh, for the beverage side is really focused on New Orleans to start but then there's these 
kind of classic Wisconsin supper club, you know, nods in it as well. It's a really big list. I think there's like 19 drinks on the menu plus a whole dessert menu. And we're doing these classic New Orleans uh, drinks like the Cafe Brulotte, which is this big service with this flaming drink that you do table side. And we're going to do a few of those. And we've got, you know, ice cream drinks and drinks to kind of connect to the supper club and Wisconsin vibe. Uh, so, yeah, it really, really exciting. So that's kind of how it started. I think, you know, it was, I think, very casual. And I think the, the fact that Ira and I had split things up and I was kind of, again, just like when we started Bitter Cube, I was at this moment in my life where, like, I didn't know where I was headed. And in that moment, it was kind of like things were starting to you know, solidify with Earl Giles as a partnership there and simultaneously with Tom uh, at uh, Mr. Paul's. And so that's kind of where everything ended up. And those are my two paths right now. And so um, Drinks Apothecary and Earl Giles are you know very close to merging as a company. And then I'll be the CEO of the bottling side of the business, which is like the non-alcoholic mm-hmm. side. And then we have a distillery opening as well and a full restaurant in January. <laughs> so Jesse Held will be running that and Jeff Urkula will be doing the distillation. Uh, and then uh, with Mr. Paul's, I'm the beverage director. So I'm, uh, you know, kind of uh, their mentor to help educate and curate. And then we've got an incredible bar manager, Ainsley Jones, who I've known for you know over 10, 12 years. Um, so he'll be the bar manager and we're building our team right now uh, underneath uh, his guidance. And so I'm really excited about that. I have a baby on the way. And so, <laughs> you know, my daughter is supposed to be born, I think, the day that the restaurant opens, which is insane. And really typical. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, we're kind of playing it by ear about like when I'm going to be involved. And so I'm hoping either baby arrives and then training starts or training's done and then baby arrives. But uh, somewhere in there, all that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of it um, and how it worked out. I think a lot of people could have done a really great job with that program, but it really feels like. I was like destined to do it. It seems like destiny a little bit. So yeah, yeah. And you strike me as the type that if you have any free time happening in your life, that like something's going to come out of it. So I'm sure having that free time after bitter cube, after you ended up uh, getting bought out of, of your part of the company and yeah. all of a sudden that probably freed up this time that all of a sudden, if there's opportunities out there, you don't strike me as the type that you're like, I think I'm just going to sit back and relax a little bit. Now. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, and it was in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I did a little, I went out to California for just, a few days to, to clear my head. Um, but outside of that, you know, we were kind of in, in that stuck place. And so it was another one of those moments where like, I had this opportunity to like create a new company from nothing. And like the idea of drinks apothecary just kind of happened where it was just like, this is it. Like I took a couple weeks and for me, it's like in those moments, like not thinking about it is going to find the answer. Like, don't, don't obsess over it you know, I was reading again and I was taking time off and I was clearing my head. I was hiking a lot. I was making bread. And in all of that moment, there's just this like light. And I was like, this is it. And like the name came and I was like, it's like, I just like, you know, cause bitter cube was like, what is a bitter cube? Like, it makes no sense. It was always a funny thing. And I was just like, what is it that I'm trying to do? And it's like, I want to be an apothecary for drinks so why not just call it that, you know? <laughs> and, and again, you know, there's this awesome website, like 99designs. I don't know if you've ever yeah. messed around with it, yeah. but you can get some really cool content. And the person who bid on the, you know, I filled out the form and I got this logo back and it's like this beaker with flowers and a bar spoon. And I was just like, 
oh my god like it was just like incredible <laughs> kind of that same thing with the disco citrus logo we're just yeah. like i'm just this is it you know and it just built from there and, and we one of the pieces of bitter cube was this thing called the tailor-made apothecary which was this custom uh cocktail mixer idea that we've been doing for about five years um you know, I, I, I did about 10 years as a beverage, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, bar um, ambassador, um, ambassador for Bombay Sapphire, uh, as well as building Bitter Cube. I traveled around North America and judged a cocktail competition. And I did this thing called the TaylorMade Apothecary. And we'd have like 16 different extracts and this tonic syrup base. And then each bartender would customize. And so we have hundreds and hundreds of tonic formulas. So that piece of, of the bitter cube business that I kept is what kind of exploded into mm. the drinks apothecaries. So I was like, well, what if instead of having 20 flavors, we have 250? And so now I basically have every, you know, schnozberry extract that you can think of and it's all customizable. And, 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 and so that, that's kind of where that came from. Uh, yeah. So, so how this will kind of be my last question for you with everything going on, because I, I, I have just a shade of what you have where I go, if there's an idea and I really like it, the first thing I think about is, unfortunately not do I have the time for this. It's like, well, this is awesome. We have to do this. Yeah. So how do you kind of manage your time on a weekly basis? Is Do you have things really thoroughly planned out? You, know, you have days that you know you're doing specific things and focusing, or is it more seat of your pants, you got your schedule laid out, it's probably not going to go that way. And then you just kind of deal with it as it comes along. It's been hard the last couple months with, uh, the pregnancy, uh, we're having a, my wife is having like not the easiest pregnancy. so there's been a lot of hospital visits and they, they happen kind of when they need to happen. And so that's like scheduling around that has been tough, but like getting us ready for baby. I'm like, this is what it's going to be like in a couple months anyway. So just get used <laughs> to it. Um, but yeah, I mean like for me, I, if it's not in my calendar, I, doesn't exist. So I have to have a pretty aggressive timeline for myself. Um, but you know, my, my wife also has an incredible job. And so she, uh, is kind of in that mindset right now of like kind of working all the time. And so, you know, I used to travel for work 60% of the year Whoa. and it was not good. You know, it was great. I mean, we built a company that was designed for Ira and I to travel around the world. And then we both fell in love and got married and never wanted to leave our house. You know, it's just like <laughs> the worst thing. And now the ball's rolling down the hill. Like you can't stop it, you know? And so I've tried, you know, it took a pandemic to stop that travel and it was really hard at first. And then, I, you know, and then I got accustomed to it and I was like, oh, this is what it's like to live at home and not be on the road. And now I like that lifestyle. And so trying to keep that more. Um, and so, you know, blocking out time is important. Uh, and I, we kind of work all day and all night and, uh, you know, as I get older, like I just get up earlier and earlier, you know, like five thirty is a great time to get up and go to the gym. And, uh, you know, I work out five days a week to keep up this garbage body. And so, <laughs> you know, like I have to get up and do that. Um, and yeah, you know, I lost a lot of weight these last couple of years. I was like 400 pounds for a while wow. and, uh, I dropped like 140 pounds. Damn. And so, um, trying to maintain that is tough. And the older I get, uh, and so I need to have that structure to be able to, to give myself that time. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, a new, a new piece is, is blocking out time to stay on top. Cause to me, I always describe it. Like if I can't have that bird's eye view of my company, anxiety is there. Like if I feel like I'm dealing with orders and problems like head on, that's where like, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not steering mm -hmm. And so I, ha you know, I have to have a clean inbox. I have to make sure all my stuff is done and my TDLs are in line. Otherwise, I, that's when I, I feel like I'm, I'm not in control and I'm doing too much. And so, like, to me, 
the right feeling is that like I'm a marionette and I'm in control of everything mm-hmm. on that marionette. Otherwise, yeah, then it's like maybe I'm doing too much, but yeah. Well, so <laughs> the next couple months for you look like having a child. Uh, yeah. Uh, drinks Apothecary continuing to grow. Yeah. Mr. Paul's Supper Club opening, finalizing mm-hmm. that partnership with Earl Giles with the potential opening of the distillery in January. Yes. Is there something I'm missing? No, that's 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 a good amount. Um, you know, we've got a that's, bunch of that's a good yeah, amount. we've got a bunch of new products we're working on, and I've got a few partnerships. You know, one of the things that was fun during the pandemic was pivoting from the consulting on bars and restaurants to consulting on brands. Mm. And so I've got a, a line of canned cocktails I've been working on with a company. Uh, I've got a line of Delta Eight sodas mm-hmm. coming out uh, that, I, that I consulted on and then uh, I'm working on um, these date based liqueurs with a buddy that lives in the um, like Palm Springs area and so we're doing this like desert Amaro and these this Palm desert liqueur and so I've been working on that for about the last year and so some of those things are going to come out real soon as well so yeah and then that's it <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things I love about doing this podcast it's it's impossible not to gain perspective yeah. and there are days where I go I, I'm I must be the busiest person alive I'm doing so much like people just don't get it and then I have you on the podcast you go you know what not that busy. I actually, I just got a few things going on. It's uh, not that busy. Yeah. So it's awesome to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank which, you. Of course, we've just realized is probably very limited. So I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I'll end it like I do every other episode and say, have a nice 